this is At Your Cervix, the podcast. The podcast where pelvic health physiotherapist Emma Brockwell and Gwanya Donnelly talk to incredible guests who help lift the lid and bust the myth on all things pelvic health. At Your Cervix, the podcast, season four, is proud to be sponsored by Pelvic Relief. Founded by Eleanor Gardner, Pelvic Relief strives to offer quality products and information to help manage conditions such as pelvic pain, incontinence and painful sex. Informed by science and quality, they offer best-in-class products for pelvic health. Find out more by visiting www.pelvicrelief.co.uk and access 10% off using discount code ATYOURCERVIX10. Thank you for supporting At Your Cervix, the podcast. Hi, I'm Helen and Emma and Gronje have very kindly let me sneak onto their podcast to tell you about mine. It's called Why Mums Don't Jump and it's grown out of my own experience of pelvic organ prolapse. It's about pelvic floor problems after childbirth, prolapse, incontinence, pelvic pain, all the things that happen to so many women and that no one ever talks about. Join me to hear women's stories and expert voices as we try to bust some of the taboos around lumps and leaks. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts or online at whymumsdontjump.com. Okay, hello everyone and welcome back to At Your Service, the podcast where me and Emma are delighted to be joined by a special guest today called Sophia Heger. Before I get into that, I'm just in a bit of a flaff and if I seem like I'm panicking, we've had one of those days that has just everything has went wrong and I double booked my <laughs> clinic this morning. So for any fellow clinicians out there, you'll be able to appreciate what it's like when you go out there and you're expecting one car to be waiting and there's two and you have to sort that out. So um, <laughs> delighted to be here at this stage to have a nicer part to my day. I'm going to give Sophia a brief introduction and then I'll let her introduce herself further. But Sophia is an active 30-year-old mom of a five-month-old curious girl, and I'm curious to hear more about that. Um, and she's always loved being active and she played tennis to a very high competitive level, being in the top three in Sweden. Um, and then she found her love for running and also then that led her to triathlon and I'll let her explain how she got there. But the reason we have Sophia here today is because she's had a personal journey with relative energy deficiency in sport or Red S. And it's one that we're really keen to hear about because obviously she's got a five month old daughter and there was a journey and planning and management to go in place to get to that point. But Sophia, welcome. Tell us a little bit more about you. And yes, tell us about your sporting journey and how you got to be a triathlete. Yes, hi. First of all, thank you for inviting me to the podcast. Um, and so, as you said, I'm a 30-year-old and I would like to add that I'm living in Sweden. So I'm Swedish uh, with my boyfriend and our five-month-old daughter. Um, what was the first question? I wanted to tell because I know that you were uh, playing tennis to a high level, but you also yes. you, you got into running and things. So tell us a little bit, a bit about your athletic journey. Mm. Yeah, so I started playing tennis very young, uh, or at 10 years old or something. So that's what I was doing growing up. Uh, and it has always been a big part of my life. Um, after college that I uh, went for four years in the US, I started, I stopped with tennis uh, because of many injuries and uh, instead started running because I was naturally the best on like the conditioning side of tennis. Um, 
And also Indurset stopped for my running, which got me into triathlon where I'm stuck right now. And the charm with triathlon is that you have three different types of sports that you can dedicate your time to. Uh, so that's a long story short uh, of my athletic background. Which one do you prefer? In triathlon? Or, or between tennis and triathlon, which you, is, oh. your, is your love with triathlon? Yes, at the moment, yes. Yeah, sure. yeah. I, I have less tennis behind me at the moment. <laughs> so. Yeah, never going back. I used back. to play tennis and it, part of me keeps thinking I'll take it up again. But I played, not. I wasn't quite the top three in my country, but I, <laughs> I got to the provincial levels and inter-provincial levels and was really, yeah, loved it. I always dreamed that I would go to Wimbledon and then I give it up when I came to secondary school. Oh but, my God, yeah, every time I, I do this with you, I find out something else about <laughs> you. That's such <laughs> an amazing achievement. But oh yeah. It's only because I was the, I was a sneaky lefty, you see? So left-handed, oh, everyone yeah. trains. Yeah, that was my advice advantage like yeah proper nice. Light, nice. Well, I, I, I might take tennis up again but I don't want to jeopardize my triathlon yeah. right now with getting yeah, injured yeah. from playing tennis so that's kind of my situation right now but, but if I ever come to Sweden but we're okay. here today to talk about your journey with relative energy deficiency in sport can you tell us a little bit about that and how you learned that you had it Yes, yeah, so it all actually started with my injuries and I went to multiple doctors uh, and uh, clinics, ex experts, everything to find out what my injuries came from. I got stress fracture after stress fracture and also um, every other types of um, over-exaggerating injuries, however you call it in English. Um, so that's kind of the starting point. And then I heard in one podcast, actually, an interview mm. that they first talked about this REDS. And I think I somewhere started to realize that that was my situation. So I started to learn more about it. I read about it a lot. Um, and then how it's all started. Uh, so I realized that more and more of the symptoms was actually where I was. Uh, and I probably have had it for 10, 15 years without mm. knowing it. Yes. So, so yeah. what other symptoms did you have other than your, your stress fractures? Um, to start with was the injuries, so different type of injuries. But then also I, I realized that I have low metabolism. And also I, have very, I had a lot of problems with my stomach. And that's also something that I tried to figure out why I had it, but no doctors could find anything that was wrong with me. Uh, so when so like piece after piece fell into place when I read about the relative energy deficiency. So you effectively were the first one to put those pieces together. It doesn't sound like you or the pieces were put together from a medical point of view or from, from your coach. No, so it was all me and all myself and then... I had a friend who had gone through about the same journey. And she was a, what is it called in English? Janela, uh, how do you call it? Working with women in Gynecologist. healthcare. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so she helped me a lot with like what blood, blood tests to take and how to analyze the numbers that, get out, that I got out from that. And she was like, yeah, uh, it's no question about it. You have... Uh, reds so she was the one actually tell me not the doctors I went to I 
I was basically telling them what I had. And what about your menstrual health? Because that's often one of the biggest signs that we see with relative energy deficiency sport, either a sporadic or a change in cycle or maybe an absent cycle. Would you have experienced that? So I went on birth control and have, have done that for like 15 years. That's the like biggest mistake if I look back and uh, that I thought that I had like a healthy menstruation because uh, I didn't know that it was a fake bleed. Um, so when I realized this, I stopped taking my birth control and then I did not have a period. Uh, so that was a big sign as well. That's huge. And it just shows mm. how that was masking almost like that. It's actually quite yeah. scary when you think of it, because that's a really like they talk about menstrual health as being your fifth vital sign because it gives us so much insight into how our body's functioning. So, oh, that's that's frustrating in many ways. I was just I was just wondering. So when when you um, established that you had reds, did you speak to any of your fellow sportswomen? And did, did, did as a result, did any of them put the pieces together and realize that they too were suffering as well? Or do you feel that you were quite an isolated case? Um, I mean, I took help from this one friend that I had that had gone through the same thing. So she supported me a lot. And then I read uh, uh, books and articles about it. And I also got in contact with a researcher in Sweden called uh, Anna Melin, who Mm -hmm. is pretty big on like the topic. Uh, And I actually got into a project, a research project that she was holding in. So I got free um, like guidance with my diet and did some like analysis uh, individually with me. So that was very helpful. Um, but yeah, I was, I was on it on my own. And I, with the triathlon, mm-hmm. I didn't have like a real club or a group of people working out with. So it was basically myself. Um, but then when I outed it in social media, then it was a lot of mm-hmm. people coming back to me that I thought was healthy or like we're doing well that reached out to me and said I think I have it too how did you find out about it and I might be in the same situation or just being scared of uh, ending up there Uh, so I think it's a lot more common than people think I think it's it's interesting the way you put that that when you outed it in social media it's as if it's this taboo secret that we hide and disclose and really it's it's something that like both men and women can enter into an energy deficit so for anyone who actually isn't aware about what relative energy deficiency in sport is or red s it's when the amount of energy we expend in our body exceeds the amount of energy we produce or make and that can easily happen particularly in females because of our just i suppose makeup but um yeah it's to do with our build and the amount of calories we're eating and all the um, expenditure we're doing through the day and were you like when you look back were you over training or you know excessively training yes I did in the past so I think that was still kind of my body haven't hadn't recovered from that period in time uh, so I still I think that I was still yeah just having a stressed body uh, even if I was not working out as much or I thought I was eating better. Uh, but a lot of it was also that I didn't lose weight anymore because that was a problem back then and when I was maybe like 17, 18. Uh, but that's also a symptom that you don't really have to lose weight because you're not eating enough uh, calories. Uh, so that's, that's kind of hiding 
the problem as well. So how old were you when you got this diagnosis? Um, well, I don't know if I got the diagnosis. I kind of gave it to myself, but yeah. uh, <laughs> it was uh, two years ago. Oh, my goodness. So not, not long ago at all. No. Wow. And yet you had probably, as you say, been suffering from it for best part of 15 years, if, if, if you like, and suffering from various issues and injuries. Um, really interesting how that just hadn't been picked up in, in quite a long period of time, actually. Um, obviously, we know because we gave the game away in the introduction that you have a baby. Um, yeah. But how how did that work around getting pregnant because obviously women who suffer and men who suffer from reds have potential issues with their fertility um did, did you have any problems um if you don't mind me asking in in, in falling pregnant well it all started with me because i wanted to get healthy and out of redes for my triathlon because i didn't want to have injuries yeah. but during that journey when we went to a doctor or I went to a doctor, he told me that if you are considering uh, starting a family in the future, it might take you like seven to 10 years uh, to get pregnant. And that's when me and my boyfriend kind of started to talk about it. And we like, yeah, we need to do everything we can to make that possible because we knew that we wanted to have kids. Um, so that kind of speeded up everything. Uh, so I went my type of all in right then before that I kind of takes took small steps in my yeah. journey I changed my diet a little bit I took out to running uh, but I still worked out and things like that um, so that's what got us us started on the journey and uh, I think like six or seven months after he told me that I got pregnant Wow. Uh, so it was very quick, but we got help mm -hmm. with some uh, extra hormones for me. Okay. Um, so that helped me, and, but it went, uh, was successful on the first try. So it was actually really, really funny because when I was at the hospital giving birth, it was the same doctor came to me afterwards <laughs> and he was like, oh, I recognize you. This went well. <laughs> he wasn't expecting to see you that same thing. <laughs> Seven to ten years came quicker. <laughs> and what about you said that you went all in once you got that news and that was kind of the trigger to make you commit to the mansion. Like yeah. what what changed other than doing a little bit, what did you essentially do on top of what you had already been doing in terms of diet and lifestyle? Yeah, so the biggest problem for me was not that I didn't eat a lot of uh, energy because I had the right amount, but I I was uh, stuck on like fasting and eating low carbs, a uh, low carb diet. So I changed drastically that I ate like every third hour. Um, and I, I focused on carbs instead of avoiding it. Uh, and also, of course, make sure that I had protein and fat as well in my diet. And also always uh, made sure that I have energy in my body before I worked out. And so I think that was the number one thing that I changed. I really focused on my diet. Uh, and then with the training, I reduced my volume maybe in half. Uh, I reduced, I didn't do any type of running because I know that that's a big stress for my body. Uh, and no high intensity workouts. So basically, 
I reduced my volume and kept it at like a low intensity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And out of interest with the, the training that you continued with, did you feel that your performance was, was any better because of the adjustments that you'd made? Yeah, actually I did. Or I got, I mean, I was longing for my workouts in another, in another way that I was before. And I was like eager to do these tough workouts that I didn't have uh, on my mm. schedule anymore. So actually now when I just have started um, with the tougher workouts, it's a totally different feeling in my body. Uh, and it's really fun to see like the numbers and stuff like that as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I really feel a difference. And and with my stomach as well, because that has been a problem that have been setting stop for me for some runs or other type of workouts. And that's, that's a bonus, it became better as well. Yeah. And what about menstrual health? Have you got your cycle back since delivery? No, I haven't. But I'm still breastfeeding 100%. So what I've read is not very usual that you get it back. Yeah, no, you're right. Breastfeeding. So we'll see. I'm eager to see if it's coming back. Yeah. And one of the things I always think in this population is like lactation is another energy expenditure. So it's factoring that into the fact that all the management that you've done but you've also got another output now, so you have to account for that. Yeah. Um, I do think that there's a pop, I think sometimes it's overlooked that there's a population of postpartum women who maybe never had reds before going into pregnancy, but we need to be mindful of the risk of it afterwards. And I know that there's new research coming out, hopefully in the later part of this year on relative energy deficiency in sports. So I'm really excited to see what it brings because they're they're updating one of the consensus papers. Um, mm. So I'll be in touch with you and that comes out if there's anything. Yeah, yeah. exciting. <laughs> and I remember messaging you in the earlier days postpartum when you were starting to get back into exercise. And I suppose one of your fears was bony stress getting injury, injured. getting injured. <laughs> and I think maybe you had maybe tried some maybe walk running or jogging or something and you were getting foot pain. Tell us a little bit about yeah. that. Yes. Um... So I went to the healthcare to kind of check my body after eight weeks postpartum uh, to see if I was cleared to start uh, working out a little bit more. And she cleared me. She said everything looked great. So I started to slowly alternate running, jogging and walking. And I think already after like two weeks or so, I started to feel a little bit weirdness in my in my foot uh, and that got me worried worried right away because uh, it was kind of the same place where I've had three of my stress fractures and I also know that when you're breastfeeding you have lower levels of estrogen for example so I was kind of scared that my bone density that has been low uh, still is uh, so that's when I contacted you uh, but I also stopped running because I, I thought it's better like, better safe than sorry. Uh, mm-hmm. So I stopped for, I didn't take a running step for two weeks. And then I slowly started all over again and made it right. So now I only ran on like soft surface instead of asphalt. And I um, accelerated it slower. Um, and it worked really well since then. So now I'm, I'm running at least like three times a week. Good and it's great. Good, enjoying it. Yeah. yeah, it just shows how listening to our body and then all the signs and having that awareness does help. 
And did you take, can I just check, were you, because of the knowledge of low bone health, were you on any supplements for your bone health? No, I wasn't. No. Just diet. I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, the birth control kind of was supplemented before I stopped uh, using that because that helps with the bone density. So your foot, um, did you get it scanned um, a few months ago yeah. and, and they cleared that and that, and so there was there an explanation as to why you were getting foot pain or or did that never really get um concluded well i i i did a full body dexa scan is what it's called at least here yeah, and right yeah okay. and it, uh, yeah. it said that yeah. i was like on the lower like right below being normal so i was on my way to getting low bone density um, so and I haven't done a DEXA since then, so I don't know where, where my situation is right now. So that's kind of why I'm a little bit worried, scared that I might get easily injured uh, still. And what do you think needs to be done in terms of because you basically went on a journey of discovery and found out about your own symptoms, heard about Red S on a podcast, did a bit more investigating. Do you think there needs to be more education mm. and awareness in this topic for women? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I went to so many doctors and specialists and experts on like all different type of both sports injuries, but also my stomach pain. Um, and I went to the doctor with my menstruation when I was losing it. And no one never told me anything about uh, my like energy intake or overexercising or relative energy uh, deficiency. So yes, absolutely. Uh, I shouldn't be the one who was telling the healthcare what my problem was and mm. should be the other way around. Absolutely. So if you were, I guess, I guess through your Instagram, you must have lots of other athletes contacting you. Um, from your experience, what, what's, what do you feel is their best way of accessing not only information around Red S, but also um, on, 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 you know, getting a diagnosis? used to getting a diagnosis yourself i would well you kind of at least in sweden you have to start with going to the healthcare to take like blood tests and mm -hmm. again level and sort of but then it's just uh, being honest to yourself and realizing how your lifestyle looks like and then i would suggest to read a lot about it yourself and listening to podcasts and now it it's a lot of different uh, episodes and podcasts out there yeah. on the topic um, and also I started reading the book uh, No Period, No What and that's kind of what got me started uh, realizing uh, how to take it like step by step uh, so just my tips would be educating yourself and then start the process of taking help of the healthcare and then at the same time educate them while you are on your journey to get help and I guess this fits in with a lot of our previous episodes have focused on, I suppose, different transitions that women go through, whether it's perinatal or whether it's perimenopausal and the importance of tracking our menstrual cycles. So for mm. anyone listening to this, this is another example of why we should be aware of when, what the pattern and behavior of our menstrual cycle is. If we're not on it, the only unfortunate thing is for anyone who is on oral contraceptives, there is that 
you know, you're not, it's going to be, you're not going to be able to track it. And that blade that you do have is a false blade. And so you can't take that as a sign that you're having good menstrual health. So it's important that if you're someone who's on oral contraceptives and you're having other signs and symptoms, that it may be worth getting some of those blood tests that um, Sophia has mentioned. Oh, it's like the, we've seen so many high profile people come forward with Red S and um, Mary Kane was one of the people who really mm. brought it to the media in the forefront when she actually had ended her career quite sadly. Did you hear about that story, Sophia? No, actually not. I'll share it with you and we can share a bit in the show notes about it. But Mary Kane was a runner I, I, from the USA and, you know, she was really good in her whole teens and growing up and yeah, she was, it was a lot of overtraining and training pressures and mis, I suppose mismanagement of an athlete and her career ended just because of her health was compromised. Um, and she's a huge advocate now for mm. education and Red S and I suppose athlete rights and um, management advocacy. So it, it's a huge topic um, and there's definitely much more being talked about it now than there used to be. I remember when Emma and I first started to do stuff on even running, like it was very it wasn't talked about that much no no no, it really wasn't and that's I guess the big thing as well isn't it because I wonder I mean you're a coach now um I presume you have a coach for your for your triathlon training do you yeah yeah so your coach now is probably very well read in the in the subject but you know it's it's not just health and and medical professionals that aren't always um getting this diagnosis it's coaches you know that they're not even necessarily aware that this condition exists um so it's 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 really about educating everyone around this and you know someone like yourself sharing these these stories is is really important to to change the narrative and improve the health of all of our you know of our female athletes because as Gwenya said someone like Mary Kane her career really sadly has 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 ended as a result um on a more positive note, however, you are five months postpartum now, um, and I presume still looking to continue your uh, triathlon career. Um, how are you doing with your training and, w- and what are your, your plans? How have you found training around being a new mum? Yes, it's um, it, it, you, you need to plan and you need to have... <laughs> have a supportive boyfriend uh, yes. for sure yes definitely. Um, so I'm actually I'm it's going very well uh, we're alternating like responsibilities for our daughter when he's not at work um, so I I'm a morning person so I usually work out early in the morning when she's still sleeping with my boyfriend uh, so that's one uh, key to succeed with the workouts and also after he finished work, uh, I often also get in a second session um, later in the evening. But sure. Mm-hmm. So I, I train a lot, but often the workouts are shorter. So yeah. the, uh, what I've been stre- struggling a little bit with right now is the longer uh, workouts that you need to do. Because I'm doing middle distance triathlon is my focus. So I need to get some longer workouts, at least on the bike. Mm-hmm. so that's what I'm trying to figure out right now um, I hope to get in easily now during the weekends and when she starts to eat food as well will make yeah. it easier <laughs> I'm not yeah. as stuck um, but and yeah, how, so. how have you found sleep and training because obviously 
so sleep deprived you in those early few months. How have you found that that affecting your energy levels and and your, your training in general? Yeah, I was very stressed about it in the beginning, but I also felt that I didn't need as much sleep. I think we have some magical hormones in our body after <laughs> giving birth, so I kind of make it on like five, six hours, uh, which. I realized my boyfriend didn't during the first week. <laughs> so, so I think we have some magic hormones. But now, like after a while, I just realized that I should stop worrying about it because I got stressed that I didn't fall asleep. I got stressed that I woke up during the night so many times and some nights even sat up uh, the whole night and just not stress about it and just realizing that I will not sleep perfectly during this time. and I will just do the best about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then I'm listening to my body so like yesterday um, my boyfriend was working late so he couldn't take our daughter and I was just listening to my body because I was tired so then I didn't work out Uh, so you need to be find find Mm -hmm. the balance and be nice to yourself as well because that can be the hard bit too you can sometimes feel an expectation that I'm supposed to train and this was my slot to train. I have to train. And I think that yeah. that's a really good example for anybody else listening. And I love what you said about sleep there because I don't even know. Uh, I, I was going to say, Emma's going to think I've dropped the ball here. I don't know whether the episode on sleep will be out yet or will it, if it's coming yet. If there's not an episode in sleep on this. It's not out yet. It's not, not out, out yet. yet. It's not out yet. But there's a wonderful episode in sleep that is going to really fit in with what Sophia has talked about here because we talk mm. about the importance of sleep and why our body needs it. But we also talk about the periods in our life when sleep just has to alter and change and how our bodies are actually potentially made for this because they do cope. Like you said, Mm. there's no other time in your life that if you hadn't got that baby there, that you would be able to have a broken sleep and survive to the same degree. But there just must be something in our psychology and physiology that just makes it work. Yeah, in the beginning, I was like tracking my sleep. Uh, along with everything else I was tracking with the baby uh, oh, and they just got me stressed because I, su- I yeah. saw that yeah. I, was up. I was waking awake for like two hours then and then two hours after that uh, so when I stopped doing that I realized that I was a little bit more calm mm. about it and maybe I'm drinking like one extra cup of coffee during the day but that's <laughs> that's fine and I'm actually not that tired that I thought I would be yeah, that's good. That's interesting you say that, actually, because on the sleep episode we have coming up next week, um, we talk about wearables using tech to track your sleep. And um, um, Matt, who we speak to about this, does actually, there's a name for it, but effectively um, there's a condition that's created from wearing these tech uh uh, apps um that that creates an insomnia um because yeah. you become so fearful of oh my goodness but I haven't had enough REM or I haven't had enough sleep and then it just it's self-perpetuating that you don't then sleep so I think there's a place for them I think in the early days of your postpartum recovery that's a lot to monitor <laughs> yeah. isn't it and it's just cheap but that's a pure that. that's an athlete that's an athlete too that's, yeah. that's the athlete in you who's used to training and tracking. I mean I was, yeah. I was thinking my sleep I was checking her sleep I was checking when she was breastfeeding I was checking her naps <laughs> that's a lot to carry oh, wow. when you just yeah. had a huge like transition yeah. oh my goodness <laughs> how do you feel about postpartum rehab 
how well supported have you have you been? Because obviously you haven't had a child before, but I'm pretty confident if I'd asked you this 10 years ago, I suspect you'd have had very little uh, rehab or support in terms of your postpartum recovery. What sort of uh, support have you had uh, since the birth of your baby? Well, I was very dedicated with my, like, I don't know what it's called in English, but pelvic floor exercises. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The first first days. Uh, <laughs> so I think like the 10 first days, it was that and walking that I was doing. Right. Um, and I kept doing those pelvic exercises probably like three months. Uh, very dedicated. And then my healthcare uh, person told me that, oh, everything looks good. You don't have to do them anymore. So then I stopped right away. But now I just realized that I might keep should keep doing them uh, now and then. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I yeah, think uh, I think there's a lot of value in all women doing them a couple of times a day, you yeah. know, a couple of times a week if you if you aren't symptomatic. But I think you're only five months postpartum. So I possibly with my patients, I would probably have you doing them for a little for a little longer and then for life a couple of times a week because it's kind of like your strength and conditioning program really but yeah I would I would definitely I definitely sort of start sprinkling that back in if if I were you yeah I'm thinking of doing it I just haven't done it (laughs) (laughs) we never hear that (laughs) (laughs) but I also introduced like after a few days maybe after one week I started doing some light like exercises with like mini bands and just Mm. my and my body weight uh, focusing on and my core and my glutes and stuff like that. I think that has helped me uh, very much also to get into mm. cycling and running and swimming uh, again very quick. And do you mm. hope, I was going to say, I know you're only early days, but I was going to say, would you be hopeful of have, expanding your family further in the future? Uh, we're not sure about it yet, but I think so. Ideally, we would like to have one sibling. Uh, to Noelle which is her name lovely. Um, (laughs) lovely. we will see I'm kind of in this situation now that I realized one baby is kind of easy to plan and get my workouts done (laughs) and other things in life but having two uh, I'm not sure that I will maybe I should like finish this triathlon thing first and then (laughs) (laughs) yeah absolutely why not it's the support you have too, because you know, like mm. you've obviously a very supportive partner. Do you live near wider family as well, or are you use away on your own? Uh, for us, we would say that they are not close. It takes like two and a half hours okay. for them oh, to gosh. drive. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that makes a difference too. Yeah. What What are your plans with your tri- triathlon now? So have you got Have you got an event coming up, or are you just you know just still in the in the process of recovering and rehabilitating at the moment? Well, I actually have one race in, I think it's six weeks now oh, until wow. the race. It's kind of a leftover since COVID, uh, the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'm doing a 70.3 triathlon uh, wow. the 10th or 11th of July here in Sweden. Uh, so that's my goal. Wow. But I will just, my goal is to finish the race healthy. Yeah. And yeah. With like a nice time, but not like my best time ever. That's good. Um, that's yeah. sensible. Yeah, so <laughs> that's my goal at the moment. That's why I was a little bit oh, good luck. longer, longer workouts. <laughs> you have to let us know after you do it how it went. Yeah, um, yeah no, do uh, update uh, us. Please do. We'll update every, all the listeners um, too because people love to know how things go. But 
we've got so many nuggets of information within that session and um, so much important light shed on relative energy deficiency in sport and the fact that, you know, for many people listening to this, you can see from listening to Sophia's journey that she's just a regular person who ended up liking being physically active and, and that athlete and fell into sports and unbeknownst to her mm. ended up in relevant energy deficiency sports. So it can happen really easily and it can go unnoticed by support teams, by healthcare providers. But what we always like to finish on three top tips um, for our listeners. So for anyone yeah. listening to this, what are three things that you would like to to advise them or tell them or inform them? Uh, my first tip would be to reflect over your lifestyle, I would mm. say, uh, especially if you recognize the symptoms of REDS or similar, and uh, that you take actions and educate yourself. Actually, like, so you own your journey. Um, so that's my number one tip to yeah. reflect if you're in a stressful uh, situation or if you're overtraining, uh, if you're eating enough, uh, and just be honest to yourself. Because I think many people just hiding it for themselves as well. Um, so yeah, that's the, the biggest tip I would say. And then if you realize you have reds, uh, my tips would be to, number one, uh, go over your diet and all parts of that. And number two, your training volume. And three, uh, all other stress factors in your daily life uh, that can contribute to your overall like stress level. Mm -hmm. I love that because we, we talk a lot about how it's all the other and wider factors that can impact our life as well because people can focus very much yeah, on the physical absolutely. nature of things so it's really good to shed light on that um, but it's been fantastic to discuss this and to even get an eye and I'm just so delighted that you were able to I suppose manage this and so quickly and and follow your your goal of getting pregnant and it's fantastic and we're delighted to see you here and now that you're juggling the complexities of motherhood which <laughs> too. um but it's been fantastic and please keep us posted um even down the line if you because we can revisit this conversation at any stage if you find that you have any other issues in terms of stress fractures or any more ongoing symptoms even though you're really mindful of this and managing it um, or tell us how you go getting back into that triathlon. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, we can yeah, follow up. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be brilliant. Thanks well, so much for your time, Sophia. Well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It's a no great problem. conversation. Thank you. Until thank next you. time. Yeah, this brilliant. Is thank Sonia you. At your service. <laughs> at your service. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us on this episode. We really hope you enjoyed it always love to hear your feedback and any questions you might have so please do contact us via instagram at your cervix underscore the podcast or twitter at your cervix underscore pm don't forget to check out our wonderful sponsor pelvic relief you can find them at www.pelvicrelief.co.uk gronya and i really look forward to catching up with you next week